How do you feel about having a C-section? Have you only heard traumatic stories? Well, I am here to share with you everything you need to know about C-sections, as well as a new approach called the gentle C-section. April is Cesarean Awareness Month, so it's the perfect time to share a topic that is never discussed enough. Many of you have had a C-section, not by choice, and then you find yourself saying, why didn't I learn about what that experience would be beforehand? Well, Dr. George Musali from Village Obstetrics in Manhattan delivered his first baby about 30 years ago, and an estimated 3,000 of those births have been by cesarean section. As a board-certified MD in maternal fetal medicine and high-risk pregnancy, he says, no matter how calm and prepared a mother is for a C-section, there's always a degree of apprehension. And that is why it's so important to learn about what to expect, even if we're planning on a natural birth. He has seen many different scenarios, and by hearing from him, we can learn from those experiences what to possibly expect for ourselves, as well as what we can ask for from our providers. You're listening to the Mamas in Training podcast, giving aspiring and expecting mamas guidance and community from moms who have been there. I'm your host, Jessica Lorian. However, I'm not yet a mom. An autoimmune disease delayed my motherhood journey. So I've made it my mission while I heal to learn with you all about motherhood. So together we can be as prepared as possible. And today we are preparing for a C-section, even if we don't think or don't want to have one. Now I was way too busy dancing in my mama's belly to flip when I was an infant, so I was personally born by C-section. And I've always been curious about what the process is actually like in the delivery room. So Dr. George Musali is here to tell us all about the process, but most importantly, he wants to remind us that there is no wrong way to have a birth. He says with preparation, normal birth or a C-section birth can be a wonderful experience. So I'm raising my glass. Here is to you for a wonderful experience. And now let's get prepared. We have a picture in our office that uh, we use when we describe the gentle C-section approach. And this was a mom who had a, a long and difficult labor with us. We needed to do a cesarean for her birth. I don't remember exactly the ultimate reason for her C-section. I think the baby just was really large, like, you know, mm -hmm. 10 and a half pounds or something. Um, and, you know, 22 hours of labor, et cetera. Um, and, the mom's uh, exhausted, so I bet. <laughs> the mom was exhausted, exactly. And I think we were all pretty convinced that uh, uh, a cesarean delivery was just how this baby uh, was going to come into the world. So now it was her second baby. And after lots of discussions about uh, a trial of labor after a previous C-section, the mom and dad together decided that they would like to have a scheduled repeat C-section. And part of that decision-making was that this was another big baby. Mm. We always blame the partner for the big baby. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, so she decided to have a, a C-section. Now, 
the husband in this case was a professional photographer and he mm. just took the most amazing picture and that's the picture we have in our office of his wife breastfeeding her baby on one side of the surgical drape and on the other side you see Dr. Worth and I operating and and it's sort of like two very different worlds so while her c-section was going on she was doing skin-to-skin -skin bonding with her baby the nurse was helping her to form the latch so you have the nurse's hand in the picture you know gloved hand in the picture mm. um, and you know she's holding her baby so it's not the uh, outstretched arms she's holding the baby with one arm and the baby is actually on her breast and she is breastfeeding in the operating room while her c-section is going on and that was a, a very positive experience for her way way more positive than the 22 hours of labor that she yes. had she 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 remembered that with great anguish and her c-section yeah. with great joy so i think preparation and perspective can be really helpful to help somebody have their best birth for those who are new, who don't know anything, what is a C-section and why might we have to have one? So, you know, I picked a job that has uh, is pretty straightforward. There's only two ways out for the baby, a normal vaginal birth or a abdominal birth, which is done through an operation known as a cesarean section. And this dates back to the time of Caesar. And so this is uh, where the name cesarean section comes from. Uh, but it's essentially a surgical procedure whereby we open the uterus and deliver the baby abdominally. The two biggest reasons why people have a C-section have to do with either the baby's heart rate is having a problem and there's uh, perceived to be an urgency to deliver the baby sooner and so delivering vaginally is going to take too long or the person is not progressing in labor uh, the baby is not uh, descending or the cervix is not opening and try as we might delivering the baby vaginally is just not happening. There are so many common worries that I've heard and that I could even think of myself personally to having a c-section. I mean I know personally knock on wood <laughs> I've never had to have a surgery so for someone who has to go through that there's a lot of concerns that come up. What are some common worries that maybe we can let go a little bit. Is there any sort of misconceptions or things that we just can kind of bless and release, so to speak? Mm -hmm. That's such a great question. And there's so much there to touch on. I think it's a natural perspective for most women to want to have a normal birth and avoid a C-section. There's the worry about the surgery. There's the worry about the recovery. There's the worry about what it means for future babies. And I think those are all important and valid. Uh, but there's also a lot of apprehension about vaginal birth for, for many women. Yeah. And uh, the worry about vaginal tearing, vaginal stitching. What does it mean for that recovery? What does it mean for their sex life? What does it mean for a lot of different things? So I think that an important part of preparing somebody for birth is to talk through their particular worries, fears, 
hopes uh, to get a better understanding of what is really going to be the right birth for them. And I wouldn't say most women, but definitely for a percentage of women, a cesarean birth is actually what they would prefer. Uh, and we don't often say that. And so in terms mm -hmm. of letting go, I think that it does require an informed decision. It shouldn't be a C-section because I'm just so scared about vaginal birth. You really have to talk through those fears and really provide the information for somebody to arrive at their, at their decision without all of the other judgment that sometimes uh, people have to tackle and deal with. But I think if somebody arrives at the place that a C-section is the right option for them, we need to support that decision as well. Now, I know for you at Village Obstetrics, you make it a point to really give your patients that time to answer all those questions, to go through all those worries and fears. But let's be honest, there are a lot of providers who don't give that space. So what can you say to women who might be saying, oh, well, that's great if I have the time to, you know, take my doctor out to coffee. <laughs> but if my doctor isn't so open to really giving me this time, how am I going to get all of my questions answered? Yeah, that's a great practical question. You know, I, I think the difference is, I mean, at Village Obstetrics, we're a unique practice because we're not doing any gynecology. And right. so, and even though this is New York City, I'm not really aware of another medical practice that is just doing obstetrics. So when people go for prenatal care, they're entering a combined OB and GYN practice. And it's all of the GYN work that the doctors have to do for so many different conditions. I mean, if we think about what's happening in a, in a gynecology office, there are people coming in for an annual comprehensive visit. That's usually a, an hour long visit. And then there's other people coming in for a problem visit. They may have pain or bleeding or they're there for a biopsy. They have, you know, maybe a cancer diagnosis. I mean, so many things that are pressing and urgent um, and they're kind of pitted against, uh, let's say a mom is 20 weeks pregnant and she feels great and she's happy and she walks in the office for her prenatal visit, ready to talk about all these things that you just mentioned. You and the doctor, <laughs> yeah, the doctor doesn't have time. So I don't think that they purposely mean to shortchange right. that conversation, but the practicality of trying to combine all of gynecology with all of the things that OB needs um, often the prenatal visits are the ones that wind up giving. So what can somebody do? I, I think that there's uh, understanding that one can have that discussion with their doctor or, or provider and say, look, we know that there's time constraints on our prenatal visit, but these are some of the important things that we want to discuss and be able to discuss with you because you're an integral part of our birth and our birth process. So we'd like to set some time aside in upcoming visits, maybe even have two or three visits dedicated just to this conversation. Um, and then I think it's very, very helpful for somebody to have a doula because you can do some homework on your own before you even get to those visits where you can explore some of those thoughts and fears with somebody who has some training and has seen yeah. a lot of births and has spent a lot of time around mothers and couples, all right? Because sometimes mm -hmm. it's the partner's um, apprehension that also right. enters into the picture and the decision-making. Some doctors might be receptive to 
having an email with some questions that they can, you know, uh, begin to provide some answers. So I think that it starts by that open communication, saying out loud to, to your caregiver that we understand the constraints of time and concerns, but this is important to us and we'd like to work together to find the time to have that discussion. I know one thing that really terrifies a lot of people is the anesthesia that comes with C-sections. Really having very little control or feeling over the lower half of your body, I know could be pretty scary. So what do we need to know if we're going to have that and we've never experienced that before? You know, you're exactly right. I can't tell you how many times somebody has said to me, you know, I'm not really that worried about the C-section. It's the it's the anesthesia I'm terrified right. about, you know, <laughs> exactly. um, not the least of which is that, you know, you can't see the doctor they're behind you. So right. uh, what are they doing back there? I think that explaining what the process is going to be like definitely helps. I think it's helpful for people to know that the doctor is having to uh, feel around between the bones of the spine to try to find the right space that then they're the, the part that's kind of uh, a little bit yucky is uh, it's almost like when you first go to the dentist and they have to numb up the area before they can do your filling or whatever. That's Mm -hmm. the part that's not so pleasant. So the same idea that they're going to inject some local anesthesia in the skin, that's the part where you feel the burning. And then after that, it's really much more pressure. And that should they feel discomfort or pain, they can tell the doctor they can add more local anesthesia. So there's no need for the person to really have ongoing you know, pain. It's really uh, just going to be some pressure. It's helpful for them to have an understanding that we might have been told our whole life that we should have good posture and sit up straight. And that um, when you're getting a, a spinal or an epidural for your C-section, this is a perfect time to slouch. Um, in <laughs> I fact, I, I practice slouching as often as I can just in case <laughs> I need a spinal. So, uh, so positioning can be really helpful. Um, and that's also where kind of relaxation is very helpful because if you're really tense, it's going to make the anesthesiologist's job a lot more difficult and uh, make the spinal more time consuming. So whether that's bringing in ear pods for some music, you know, I, I, I wish that doulas and partners would be allowed in during mm-hmm. the time of the spinal. But I think that maybe is another important point to share with people is that yeah. uh, uh, typically they're not allowed in. Uh, yeah, that could be you know, shocking. So we, if you don't yeah, expect I mean, that. Yes, exactly. So they're, they're depending on them for support. And, and this is where, you know, Dr. Worth or I and our practice are, are with the mom continuously in the operating room. So at least they have somebody they know and trust mm-hmm. with them uh, through the process. But sometimes that's uh, listening to music or practicing their self-meditation or, or taking some steps to prepare to be able to do that some of our moms uh, work with reflexologists and really learn self-relaxation techniques so that they can, you know, sort of be as relaxed as possible while the spinal is being placed. As soon as the spinal goes in, there's actually a need to lie down very quickly. I mean, sometimes moms are a little bit scared by that because what, 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 what's the urgency? What's going on? Uh, because uh, they don't want the spinal to settle. The person needs to lie down. 
And very often they'll be put right into a lateral tilt where sometimes the moms feel like they're gonna roll off the table uh, because they're being uh, tilted, but they're being tilted so they're not flat on their back so that the baby continues to get you know, oxygenation. Um, I think one of the biggest things in preparation though is that you're scared that you're gonna feel the operation. Mm. And then the, you get the spinal and you're still feeling everybody touching you. And you say, oh my goodness, I can still feel that. I can still feel the touch. Yeah. And, um, and so one of the things that's helpful is to explain to people that there are different kinds of nerve fibers that carry different information. Touch is on, an, on another pathway and pain and temperature are together. And so, uh, so people can feel the touch, but one of the tests that we do is to see if somebody can still detect temperature. So if you can't tell whether something is hot or cold, you're not going to be able to feel the pain either. And so oh, wow. you feel us touching, but you can't perceive the temperature. Uh, we use something that's ice cold and the person has no sense that it's a cold thing. Um, and so knowing that there's gonna be a series of tests to make sure that the spinal is working properly helps people you know, also to, to be uh, less nervous about it. I think it's also helpful to tell them that, you know, the spinal affects their blood pressure, that their blood pressure often drops. And so the way they might perceive that is they feel very nauseous. And so the instant that they feel any nausea, I tell our moms, even if you're not sure if it's nausea, let the doctor know, uh, because uh, generally the blood pressure is falling. And if they can address the blood pressure quickly, they can often avoid the sensation of nausea or even starting to vomit, which is not pleasant for anybody, but uh, can also be something that makes people feel very, very nervous. So um, I think it's letting them know about all of these steps. And then I think another important thing, and, and we've uh, all heard people, part of the difficult or sometimes would, people would even say traumatic part of their C-section experience has been when they're sort of laid out with arms outstretched. Some people have even used the word, you know, I felt like I'm like being crucified, my arms are out to the sides. And mm. then they strapped them down so that I couldn't move. Um, and so it's, it, it was very helpful for me to share with the anesthesiologists that perception that some moms have had. Uh, because from their point of view, uh, their arms are outstretched and they're tethered for a couple of good reasons. Number one, they don't want their arms to fall off and have a sprain or injury from an arm support. Uh, but more importantly, they are needing to maintain somebody's blood pressure because the spinal drops blood pressure. So one arm has a blood pressure cuff on it. They're constantly monitoring the blood pressure and then your arm needs to be sort of straight to get an accurate reading. And the main way to keep the blood pressure appropriate is to give IV fluids and the other arm has the IV fluid running in it. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of times when the IVs are placed, these are often placed by nurses in the, in the holding area before you go in for surgery. And if the nurse is not so experienced or if we don't have the best veins, uh, the easiest spot to put an IV is right in that elbow crease but unfortunately, every time you bend your elbow, sometimes even if you bend your elbow just a little bit, 
the IV stops running. And so the arm is outstretched on one side, so the IV fluid is running to maintain the blood pressure. And the other arm is outstretched because they're monitoring the blood pressure. And so it's a communication issue. Sometimes just explaining to a mom, these are the reasons why you're in that position, is enough for her to feel, okay, I'm comfortable with that, I understand. And sometimes explaining to the anesthesiologist that that's how this is being perceived uh, allows them to modify that so that the person right. doesn't feel splayed out like that. And even better if the IV can be placed somewhere between the wrist and the elbow so that no matter how you bend your wrist or how you bend your elbow, the IV will flow very well. And that actually allows the mom to then be able to, to move that arm. And uh, in the example that I gave earlier of our mom having her gentle C-section, where she was holding the baby, her arm is bent holding the baby because her IV is not in a position that gets interrupted. Uh, and so it takes really a whole approach to provide this so-called gentle C-section. It's really a much more patient-centered, family-centered approach to the cesarean. And all these little things actually turn out to be really important, big things. These tips are just, just amazing. You mentioned the gentle C-section and a lot of the things that you just mentioned, the conversation, the communication is all a part of gentle C-section. But for those who might have never heard this opportunity, can you please explain what this is so that if we need to have one and we have the luxury of searching for a provider that does gentle C-section, what we can expect? Sure. Um, you know, and it's, it's both searching for a provider, but also making sure that the provider is working at a hospital that permits it and in fact yeah. uh, has has gone to the trouble of coordinating it so that it can take place and that's because it requires coordination from nursing from the anesthesia team from the pediatric team and of course the the ob doctors themselves for it to really have all parts of it come together um, we just talked about how the IV placement, which is often done by the nurses, is an important part of having that uh, experience be as positive as it, as it can be. Uh, so it does speak to making sure your provider is acquainted with it and is willing to do it. And the, the actual operation is really not any different, but it's all of these other steps that are included to make sure that it is a good experience. And I think uh, two really big ones uh, that we haven't sort of touched on is the ability to open the clear drape. This, the, the surgical drape has a uh, transparent window. It's not an, op an actual opening, but it's sort of, you can think of it as looking through saran wrap. Mm. Uh, so that if uh, a mom or a partner or both would like to see the baby emerging, and people worry that it's going to be all sort of blood and guts and things like that. It's, it's not at all. And so you see the sort of the head emerging uh, and then the baby coming out. And even for uh, moms uh, who don't want to see that part, sometimes the C-section is being done because the baby is breech. And so when you're having a breech delivery, it is a little bit kind of strange to see the the, the feet come out or the butt come out and, and you know all of that stuff. So sometimes moms uh, elect to say, okay, deliver the baby. I don't need to see that part. 
and then open the drape and I'm going to put the baby right at the saran wrap, so to speak. So that literally you can, you can high five your baby through the, oh, through the clear yeah. opening. Uh, you can take pictures through the clear opening. And it's also a perfect time to be doing some delayed cord clamping, which can still be done at a C-section where we're keeping an eye on the mother's bleeding, making sure that's not too heavy or too excessive. But in the majority of cases, you can uh, do a minute of delayed cord clamping, which can be really important and helpful to the baby. And during this time, you're you're seeing the baby, you're, you're maybe counting those fingers and toes mm. and just trying to get a sense of who this baby looks like. And it can be a really, it, I mean, it's been very moving for the nurses and the anesthesiologists and the pediatricians who've never seen this technique done before when they've been part of a gentle c-section for the first time we've had staff tear up because it's so emotionally moving and turns it into such a uh, a spiritual birth experience so a c-section doesn't have to be a, a negative experience if one needs one done in this way it can really transform the experience and then of course doing the skin to skin as long as a mom and baby are doing well that you can do skin to skin that's another really important part of the gentle c-section um, mm -hmm. and it can uh, it can make the rest of the c-section just kind of blur into the background because exactly. uh, you're you're enjoying the time with your baby oh that's so beautiful there seems to be a little bit of a concern about the lack of exposure to mom's microbiome. Is that something we need to be concerned about? Is there, you know, anything we can do to prevent that if we have to have a C-section? You know, it's a, it's an excellent question. And um, there are a couple of uh, ongoing studies uh, to try to answer this question. And if, if you're not enrolled in a study, you should also just talk with your doctor about doing a so-called vaginal seeding. This technique essentially involves taking a gauze, placing it into the vagina shortly before the C-section, taking the gauze out, put it in a Ziploc bag, the partner can hold that, and then once you're finished and you're in recovery room with your baby, you can wipe the gauze uh, onto the baby's face and expose the baby to some of the uh, mother's uh, birth canal bacteria. The idea being that some of these bacteria may be very helpful for long-term good health outcomes. So we're used to thinking of bacteria and germs as being negative and causing right. infection and disease. Um, so the uh, microbiome theory that some of these organisms are actually can be very uh, important for good health. So it's still something that's being investigated. I think that it's important to discuss that with your doctor because there are certain things that an exposure might be uh, potentially harmful. So if somebody has a herpes lesion, if somebody is, uh, has group B strep that's positive, these are things that uh, you don't want to inadvertently expose right. the baby to something that could be harmful. Uh, but the idea that you know a baby is in the birth canal sometimes for hours and then a C-section is done because the baby is not delivering or what have you. The baby is, you know, really mashed up against uh, the, the birth canal and exposed to all of those vaginal bacteria. But, you know, nature is great, right? So nature rarely has just one way of doing things. 
in the same way that nature gave us two eyes and two ears, we have sort of a paired system so that if something gets in one eye, you can still see out of the other eye. And so exposing the baby to uh, breastfeeding is, a, is another way to get the mother's bacteria. So, so I think breastfeeding is a second way, and we'll find out uh, in the coming months from the studies whether uh, there is merit or not to the idea of this bacterial exposure. Now, I think we could talk about this forever, but what can we expect? And is there anything that we can know ahead of time that can better prepare ourselves for this healing healing time? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think it's a, it's a really important question. There's a lot of things to say about this. My experience has been that for most people, it is a recovery, no doubt. And it is a more difficult recovery than a vaginal birth. However, there are some moms who have had an easier recovery. One of the things we do a lot of is vaginal birth after C-section. And uh, after going through a long, hard birth and somebody has a VBAC uh, and they have a vaginal birth, um, I have occasionally had somebody say to me, oh, wow, that was really (laughs) tough. I think next time I'll just have a (laughs) C-section. (laughs) C-section. Right? So... So, so for some people, their recovery is not bad at all. Uh, and for some people, the recovery is dreadful and very difficult and very long. Some of it depends a little bit on whether this was a scheduled C-section or whether somebody essentially ran a marathon of labor and then had a C-section. Right. I think that's a harder and longer recovery. If there are any complications during the operation, if there was an excessive amount of blood loss, you know, the person is, you know, trying to recover and they're anemic, et cetera, the extensive stitching, et cetera. Uh, but for most moms, the good news is that they, they can recover fairly quickly. The first couple of weeks in particular are the hardest. Getting in and out of bed is hard. One of the very simple things that I think people can prepare, and it was interesting when we first came to Mount Sinai, we introduced having abdominal binders, sort of a big Velcro band that you can put on after the operation to support the, the, the tummy. And this is both a physical support and a psychological support because yeah. there's a worry that when you sneeze or your partner tells you a funny joke and you <laughs> laugh or whatever that you're going to bust everything open. Um, yeah. And so just having a band there kind of gives you psychological support that that won't happen, but also gives you really physical support. Things are not as jiggly, especially for walking around, which is really important after a C-section. You want to try to be mobile, not not to overdo it. You certainly want to pace yourself, but to, to get up out of bed a little bit uh, helps prevent, you know, getting blood clots and some of the other complications of surgery. Um, and having that physical support is really helpful and, and our moms with a with a band on can generally you know walk much faster than and feel much more supported than somebody who doesn't have that but it's especially helpful for the c-section and in fact people use less pain medicine when they are using the simple abdominal binder and uh, and i think mm-hmm. that's another important piece to share with people about recovery is that uh, there's a tendency to offer and to use narcotics Uh, And certainly the pain can be significant. But I have found that most people, if they uh, use the essentially high strength Advil or or Motrin, 
uh, ibuprofen, six or 800 milligrams. Uh, so when we buy our over-the-counter uh, Advil, each tablet is 200 milligrams. So if you take three of those at a time, or four of them at a time, six or 800 milligrams, and you use it every six hours, and then you alternate it with extra strength Tylenol, so none of these things have any narcotic in them, and they really help provide a platform of pain relief. And it allows you to take the edge off of the pain, and then if you need a narcotic, you, you need less of it. Um, right. And that can be very helpful because the narcotic really can constipate you and can, you know, trap mm -hmm. gas in the bowels, which is very painful. And then you're in so much pain that you take more narcotic and right. the narcotic <laughs> makes it, you know, you start a, basically a vicious cycle. So, so it's important to do the work of recovery, to take deep breaths, to do that walking around. And if your pain is so much that you're just, you know, stiff in bed, the answer is you need to take some more pain medicine, even if it's narcotic, so that you can do the work of recovery. The doses are going to be appropriate for the breastfeeding. It's okay. But in general, try to use less narcotic if you can. And one good strategy is just to, to just every three hours, you should be taking either the Tylenol or the Advil. And this way, it, most people can even just do without anything else. Uh, and they manage. You gave us an amazing set of preparation tools, and also not only that, but a fabulous perspective on how we can advocate for ourselves and ask these questions if these certain techniques can be used so that if we do have to have a C-section, it doesn't have to be a, a, a terrible experience. And as you mentioned, maybe in fact, we might like it better. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> so thank you so much for all of this. Oh, it's been my pleasure. We, you know, we love to talk about birth uh, in all of its shades. And uh, we're happy to uh, chat about this and other things anytime. By now, we have a much better idea of what to expect if our path happens to lead to a C-section. And it doesn't have to be a negative and traumatic experience. Even if you're planning a natural birth, I congratulate you for listening through to this entire episode. Because the more you know, right? It can't hurt us to know. If something happens and our path takes a turn, we'll be more informed. And if you're expecting, ask your provider if they perform the gentle C-section approach so you know ahead of time what to expect. And if you want to hear from other women who've had C-sections, how they managed, how they healed, and what they might have wished they'd done differently, then join us today in our community. Mamas in Training on Facebook. All you have to do is click on the link in the show notes, put up a post calling out to all the C-section mamas, and be instantly flooded with support from women who've been there. We're in this together, and I can't wait to support you over there. If you enjoyed the show today, new episodes release every Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And help us grow our mama community by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. That way I know how to better serve you. And finally, I would love to connect on Instagram. You can find me at Mamas in Training Pod. That's M-A-M-A-S in Training P-O-D. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together. <laughs>